0: Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaqueto Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? Yeah. And today we are honored to welcome Carrie Hutchinson to the show. Welcome, Carrie. Welcome, Carrie.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So I know you wear a few hats here at SBCC, but um, you are a faculty member in the communication department. And as someone that works in the office communications, I know what our kind of work duties are, but I don't know much as, as I, since I wasn't a communications major, a communication major, I don't know much about the discipline itself. So if you can just touch on that briefly in terms of, I know how, yeah, because I know what we do, but I don't know what the discipline is. So if you could just like expand on that a little bit for us I'm to start. i do good. that.
1: Yeah, no problem. Can I give the backstory, Hong? I'm just going to say what
0: happened. Of course, yes.
1: Because
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we are the office emails. of
0: communications. It says that on, right. on our door, and then i was i was told by carrie that that preferred nomenclature is communication no plural so i'm curious about that myself
1: yes in fact it's a great opportunity to make my my colleagues proud because we're constantly talking about this and i, I got the email about the podcast and you had used the term communications with an mm-hmm. s and the bill was actually called communication with no s and it's a big debate and not a debate in the discipline but it's kind of i would call it a sensitive area and so i said oh i don't want to correct you on air but just so you know, there's no S. And if you use the S, my people are going to freak out. Uh, But nobody's really going to freak out. But it it is worth explaining the difference between communication and communications. So um, communications, like what you do, has more to do with the applied areas of the field. And that's, you know, marketing, advertising, PR, writing, um, all these various things. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of them that you're more familiar with than I am. But what we study is communication. And that is the social science of communication, having to do with the various contexts in which people communicate. So we study um, interpersonal communication, small group communication, mass media, public speaking, um, intercultural communication, intergroup communication, um gender and communication all these different things uh linking really strongly to psychology and other social sciences so it's really the study of human beings and how they communicate on a more human level than on an um, advertising marketing and pr level so hopefully that makes sense i, I don't i you know i over the years i've sort of tried to refine my description of it because it happens so often that people use the s but that's uh pretty much the best i can do at this stage it is a complicated field
0: and I'm sure they were related at one point, but the you yeah. know, crass, crass commercialism and capitalism has really just turned the field into press releases, you know, like wow. social media massaging and yeah. marketing and things of that sort. So it is, it's, it's still one, one aspect of it, but yes, not, it's definitely not the, the all-encompassing, holistic kind of uh, look at what, what you do as a communication student or, or teacher
1: yeah as a student exactly and it's interesting how you describe it here because you're exactly right it started out all as one thing and then the discipline got so big that it became kind of sectioned off into different specialty areas but what you just said reminded me that really it is coming back to being all one thing right because we communicate um interpersonally in a way on social media even though traditionally that was only considered a mass media channel um or a mediated channel and we're also advertising ourselves all the time and it's all about self-promotion and controlling our Um, identity via mass channels. So really it is coming back into being one field in so many ways. And that's why I think interdisciplinary and cross disciplinary studies are so important. So we can see the way these things kind of work together.
3: Yeah.
0: It seems to be like an abstraction of the discipline where like, you know, someone early in the field in like the late 1800s is like, okay, this is a lot to kind of digest. How can I really distill this and make it like, let's all go to lobby and have ourselves a snack you know subliminal <laughs> messaging and stuff and so they kind of codified it into these simpler aspects of it and kind of i feel like that's kind of what we get is the simpler aspects of it but in terms of the field and how it evolves i mean you know everyone's constantly updating their disciplines you know you have journal articles and this and that how do you learn more about how folks communicate as communication moves so fast today as as the ways we communicate evolve so quickly i mean is it just kind of immersing yourself in these things or are there kind of other ways to kind of stay informed Because yeah, it it just, it's all over the place now.
1: It's all over the place now. It's part of our everyday life. And that's one thing students love about it is that it's so um, highly applicable to our daily lives. It's really relevant. It's really personal. So how do I stay, or how do people in my discipline stay current with what's going on? Because there's so much information. Yeah, it's true. We're kind of nerdy. We like to still read academic journals and all the current research. One of my favorite ways of staying current is to look at, some of the pop culture sources even like psychology today and some of these pop culture magazines they reference all the academic studies right so they pull the ones that are interesting and that people are talking about and then as a social scientist i can actually go back in and open up the article and take a look at the actual study and, and see what they learned from the study half the time they have you know miscited or um, oversimplified a finding from a research study our favorite one is some of the studies that that talk about the link between living together before marriage and divorce and uh, folks not informed in social science will always say that there's a higher rate of divorce for people who live together in advance when in actuality there's a correlation there that comes from things that have less to do with living together and more to do with other non-traditional aspects of people's personalities that cause them to choose to live together like non-religiousness and um, a variety of other things that actually influence that more. So that's just a small example of When you look at something in pop culture and the way a research study is cited, the need to kind of go back in and take a look at what the study actually looked at, how they did it, and what their findings really were. And now I feel like I'm talking to students because this is essentially a lecture on not secondary citing sources in your research papers, (laughs) (laughs) We're going to the original source.
3: Here's a big question for me that I wanted to ask you is, do you think that people are communicating better now than ever before (laughs)
1: um akil before i answer that what do you think
3: i would honestly say i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say no and the reason why i mean i guess there's multiple reasons why but i'm gonna say not as well that's what Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say that's what my gut tells me
1: I'm gonna go with you on that one, and I'm gonna um, back that up with a little social science too, which, um, you know, it it depends on how you're defining better. So, like, are people communicating better now? Well, they're definitely communicating differently Mm -hmm. now. And one of the things that we look to, as influencing that should come as no surprise to you, but the impact of mediated communication, so this is through social media and text messaging, all the variety of ways we have to communicate, it provides a layer of comfort and cause us to be less censored and not always to bring our authentic selves to communication so we are angrier we we respond more rapidly we don't imagine the person on the end the recipient of our message as often as we do when there's this in person face to face so those things have caused us to communicate differently and it is measurable and it's having an impact on the world frankly and and we can talk a little bit about how it really influences the nature of the world today and our sort of divisions and, and the way that we interface with each other are having a lot to do with how our culture feels right now. And, and that's largely, you know, because of how we're communicating with each other.
0: I always think of it like a depth and breadth kind of thing. Like, you know, before communication, you, you had more depth because it was more of a, a, a focused kind of interaction. You were interacting with one person, You were you were explicitly seeking out one person to communicate with them. And now you are kind of built to like fire hose. It's kind of like a spray, you know, like you you know that when you post something on social media, it's going out to multiple parties. You know, you know you're not just posting to to one person, you're posting to like your entire high school class or like, and even Mm -hmm. that where, where you know reaching out to one person is more difficult today. So so the depth and breadth has changed. So I feel like communication has expanded, but you know. I don't know. Yeah, if you could say it's necessarily better. I mean, this is me speaking without social media. So, this is just my hypothetical brain. You know, I'm still shocked that there was a that that correlated people living together before marriage leading to higher rates of divorce. That's just like, that's just common sense to me, where it's like, come on, you should. Kind of, yeah, but yeah, that's it. I love that
1: one. <laughs> Students really like that one, and they want to know more about it. But you're here, you're Hong. You're referring to the social penetration model. It's a model in our discipline, and it talks about the depth and the breadth of communication. And and I think you're exactly right that we're having a lot of, um, it's like quantity over quality. Uh, with the access we have to people, um, the rapid fire access that we have is is causing definitely some problems in our culture. So, you know, we can, we can talk, I think really one of the biggest areas in my discipline is, um, you know, untapped areas or areas with the most potential for growth is how do we kind of get back to a place where we really understand the impact of our messages, even when they're mediated. So the, the big problem is that people are unaware of the impact they're having with, you know, when they fire off harmful words and hurtful words. And I think if we get a little better in touch with the impact we're having on other people, we can do, do a lot better and communicate more as if it's interpersonally, you know, how we do that and and what methods we use. There's a lot of different theorists with different ideas about that. I'm super into theory of change and how we change our culture through our communication and the various theories about the best ways to do that. So I'm a big believer in best practices
3: it's really interesting. Hong and I uh, were having lunch together this week and we were kind of talking a little bit about music and, and communicating. And, you know, it's funny because I really think we have all these different avenues, right. To communicate now that never, ever once ever existed before, but also I think it's really interesting that people communicate less, I feel. So in other words, to, to kind of break it down for my own experience, I remember like, When I was in junior high or high school, and it was like, it was like you had to call someone's home and speak to someone's parent if you wanted to speak to their daughter, Mm. right? (laughs) And so now that's not that, that's completely cut out. So you can have conversations with certain people without really learning how to communicate with older people. Like it's just such Mm. a unique thing. It's like, yes, there's more communications, but at the same time, people aren't like having to go through certain channels and hoops you know, it was like, hey, make sure you pick up the phone at eight o'clock. I'm going to call. I'm gonna, or how about this one? I'm going to call, hang up one ring and call back. That's just like that means that I'm calling it, right? So you try to do those things. But, you know, like, I feel like everyone has access to everyone now in, in different ways.
0: And that is valuable. Let's not say it's all destructive, but it's not intrinsically value valuable in and of itself. You have to use the technology and apply it in a way that, yeah, that that does add value. Because folks are just like, blindly disengaging and and you have to really kind of there's a little more nuance there for sure absolutely
1: right for sure and when when we're using a a device as the thing that we're interfacing with we're really doing an exchange that's quite different than an interpersonal exchange where we're kind of um it's an ends, it's a means to an end it's yeah it's a machine and and we're not thinking about the person on the other end and really developing the skills like you talk about that require us to think more in greater depth and more creatively about our different goals in different moments and so the goal is not just to send the message to the person. When we're communicating face to face when the person has to call on the phone even and ask for <laughs> to speak to your daughter there's some there's a variety of skill sets there and they're not always tangible we know what they are as we learn them and we know when we don't have them, but we don't have the opportunity. To develop those when we're communicating
2: always
0: through now you guys we sound like a bunch of old people right here i'm telling you I mean, this, yeah, is like, those uh, are this is
1: of never the, that, gonna
0: that, work. That, <laughs> pieces <laughs> of the social fabric that aspect of the culture like i i love that discreteness that akil talks about like i i enjoyed being that ninja status where no one knew what i was doing no one knew what i was up to like but that you know that 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 is kind of an antithetical to yeah but but uh, i guess not to be such an old person about it if, if, if i'm a like let's bring it back i'll bring it back to the pathways angle and stuff if I'm an, um, a student, I don't know what I want to study yet. What would be kind of in terms of like little things that I I would be interested in that would make me a good communication student? there is, is it pretty universal?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty biased. So I'm going to tell you the things that I think as a student um, considering communication or considering any uh, major that, that you might want to think about. I think it's really important for students to take a good look around them at the actual practical world that they live in and think about whether they're happy with it and if they're not, as a young person today, what is their role in making it better, making it a place where they would want to live, where they would want to have children, where they would want um, to see it thrive? You know, what it's because students, we're also good at complaining, right, about the world. And, and now more than ever, right? There's just so many opportunities to say all that are wrong with it. But the thing that gets me up in the morning is really thinking about what it is that's wrong with it that I don't like and what I can do to change it. And so speaking in a very broad sense to answer your question, I think a starting place for all students should be not, you know, how can I make the most money or um, what's this hobby that I like, but really a, a bigger question, which is what do I wanna do uh, with this life to make the world a better place than how I found it? And if you start there, it can be communication or any other field that, that sparks your interest where you can really harness um, the skills that you learn from your professors and mentors about how to do those things. So in the field of communication, I, I teach interpersonal communication. And I teach it from a standpoint of a larger model of social change. So my favorite model of social change has four different layers. So on the inside is the intrapersonal level, right? That's how we, um, those are our biases and all the stuff we bring to the table that only have to do with ourselves and all the influences that the folks have had on us, but they're internal to us, right? And then the outer circle of that is interpersonal. That's how we interface with other people and the influence we have in our social circles and relationships, right? And then the next level is institutional. So that's um, the places that we work, our schools, our systems, all the um, human artifacts that we've created and socially constructed um, and the work we can do in those spaces. And then the biggest level on the outside is ideological, you know, our our philosophies of thinking and how we, our worldview really, and and what kind of uh, change and work we can do in that arena. So in those four arenas, you can take any Aspect of the communication discipline, and many other disciplines as well, and you can kind of target an area where you think uh, where you're interested in learning more, and you think you can have a lot of influence. So that's my my one class is the interpersonal communication class, and then the other class I teach is leadership um, for a global society, and that really has to do also with that model of change and um, where we can have impact in our communities and in our world. I, in fact, I started out when I was much younger. I became very passionate about you know, global problems. And I think a lot of that is an artifact of our educational system and how we teach young people that, you know, in in the United States I'm talking about, we teach young people that problems exist in this faraway place. So we look at um, poverty and, and all the global problems that are real in the world, but we deflect our own issues here in our country by sort of um, pointing young students to, to places across, across the globe where they can identify real concrete problems. And then um, we help them <laughs> develop a charity mindset where they think they're gonna be some kind of savior and go help. Uh, people in other countries. And I definitely had that mindset um, as a young person because of the various um, education and socialization that, that I experienced, like most of us. But as we develop and we go to different schools and We talk to other uh, smart adult people and they inform us about all the different things we can do right here in our own communities and right here in our own country. And like I said before, now more than ever, that's becoming obvious to us, but I don't think it was as obvious to US Americans before. And I think now we're really rethinking our tendency to look with a um, over there lens and we're looking inside and seeing what we can do here. So to bring it full circle, that's what I say to students who are looking for their purpose. I say, hey, look everywhere and don't forget to look here and don't forget to look within because it's the lot that's a lot of the work that needs to be done is at all of those different levels but the intrapersonal within levels and the interpersonal levels within our immediate socials of influence are enormously um incredible places where we can have impact
0: yeah i, th- I think about those four tiers and i think for folks today the ideological one is the toughest one to get to because it takes so much work just to learn in, inter intra and institutional institutional will weigh you down if you're not care- you know so to get to that back end of why why do i do all of these things you know and it's kind of going back to aquiles how to talk to parents when you're talking to someone on the phone like ideologically you need to connect with you need to connect with folks and you need to have that common ground ideologically before you can really form real relationships, because you can form inter, intra institutional relationships that are superficial. Like I know how to act in these situations, but until you've ideologically connected and found some kind of empathetic core that allows you to really just be a human being with someone else, then that, that's where the true communication comes when you have the ideological backbone to justify what you're doing. And it's not just because, you know, this will meet an end. Like I can put on a facade and just meet an end communicatively, but to actually have the ideological Core is really, you know, I know that's where he was going. So I just wanted to extrapolate his point about about trying trying to hire folks over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're
1: right. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. If and this is a big thing when it comes to um, you know social science theories of influence, attitude, and behavioral change. Right? We mm. have to. Well, first of all, I think there are major ideological differences, no doubt. We see those everywhere right now, and that's one of our biggest cultural problems or the are ideological differences. But one thing um, that I'm learning a lot about right now, and that Akil and I were talking a little bit about um, at a conference we went to recently, is this this focus on the ideological differences between, or the perceived ideological differences between people who actually really are allies and potential allies. So people who we actually have more important things in common than we don't have in common and you know the social justice movement in particular tends to require this um value purity this purity measure which is that if we're not aligned 100 percent on every single thing and every belief and every thought then we're going to you know call each other out and cancel each other and do all these things that we do in the social justice movement. And really, I'm learning a lot of this um, from from an incredible woman named Loretta J. Ross, who really is a big, she's a human rights activist. She's one of the um, people who coined the term reproductive justice, and she just does a lot of work around really identifying our spheres of influence, our circles of influence, and and really not requiring total 100% um, attitudinal purity with our peers in order to strengthen That in group, in order for us to have influence. And so she talks about her model. I really like it. She says, you know, across, let's say we're looking at the United States, there's about 10%, there's only 10% of the people, let's say in our country, who actually are 100% aligned with us on every single thing and, and it doesn't need to be more than that because she she refers to it as that would be a cult you know that's not a that's not a movement that's a cult when everyone's thinking exactly the same and has the same thoughts so we don't really need to work on the purity of the, those 10 percent. we can have differences we can you know that's diversity that's the thing we're fighting for right so we can have that and strengthen that group and then outside of that there's a 25 percent of people who they actually share all of our values don't share the same language that they Used to describe those values and we're all aligned. It's just that we describe it differently. We have different background and education around it. So we don't need to worry too much. We just need to come in alignment, develop, shared vocabulary, strengthen the movement with those 25% of the people. And then there's 75% who or no, sorry, it's 50%, she says, who are, um, you know, they're, they're on the fence and they can go either way. And that really is our target audience. So she argues that we wanna be careful about working so hard on the people within our movement with whom we're mostly aligned and we want to allow differences between people and work together and advocate for diversity within our own social circles and then really work on the folks who who aren't sure who we can draw into the movement and create social change in that way. So I really like that model because it helps us understand um, how we can waste a lot of time with demands and requirements from everybody within our movement. Um, and how we'd be better off really targeting our energy toward people that we can draw in and strengthening our you know they call it the choir you know instead of preaching to the choir you want to strengthen the choir
3: yeah i mean i think that's spot on you know and and when you when i was listening to you when it may you know just something kind of you know resonated inside of me when you're talking about that social justice purity you know and What I think mostly about that is that's birthed out of something that we're fighting against, you know, like that's, you know, the supremacy of being like pure. And we got to be careful in those spaces where where we're not replicating that same model that's been replicated on us that we're fighting against. So big fan of calling in, not calling out, giving people grace and spaces and allowing uh, people to arrive to their own conclusions when they're ready to versus Mm -hmm. you know last time i checked i anytime i had an argument with someone didn't matter how i called them out in a lot of ways they didn't change and that goes vice versa too like it goes people have to arrive to places you can't just push them there you know what i mean and then once Even if you do push them to that space, are they authentically in that space? Because the same people, or not the same people, the people who want them to be in that space, if you push them that space, you may not be getting an authentic version. Thus, if they're not authentic, then thus you don't really have change.
1: That's exactly right, and that's everything you just said is what social science backs up. All those, all those beliefs and and theories that you just shared, because we find that you know calling out obviously is totally necessary in so many situations for major social change and social movements, right? So when people are being explicitly um, ideologically oppressive, when they are engaging in in all sorts of corruption um, and oppression of at various levels of various people, yes, of course calling out is something that we have to use, and that's been used historically to make massive social change, for sure, but we're talking here more about dealing with people in our own circles and folks with whom we want to share this movement, and you're exactly right, Akhil, you know, every single theory of social science says that shaming doesn't work, gosh, Nelson Mandela said there's no, there's, what, how did he say it, oh my gosh, there's no one more dangerous than the person who has been shamed. And Mm -hmm. that is not who we want in our circles, the person who has been shamed, who is now a potential enemy as opposed to a potentially stronger ally. So yeah, shaming doesn't work. All these things don't work. And you're exactly right that if people change their behavior because of um, punitive measures that we put on them interpersonally, it's usually because uh, they're a fear of social penalties Mm -hmm. and not because of intrinsic change in the way that you're describing it. And that's also what we don't want because that's not sustainable. Yeah, I've never it I've, actually hurts the movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've
0: never understood the need for the, the 100% uniformity because people also forget that as you as we get older, I mean, it, when we do outreach to older folks, these are folks that already belong to another subset or, or cultural element so that if you put too many barriers up to them becoming an ally with with you, they will just retreat back to where that what they know and, and, and their their hive, you know, their, their tribe, so to speak. And And it happens when you a lot of people try to outreach to folks in the street street Mm -hmm. folks you know they speak a certain way they live a certain way they know certain things so we're trying to get them on a level where like they they're intelligent people that know that have beliefs and they and usually are allied in terms of their they have more liberal philosophies and a lot of things but if you try to you know correct them on how they speak too much maybe correct what music they listen to in certain settings and and yada yada it, it can turn them off and they retreat they fade back in so i mean in terms of i think of it all the time when we're trying to reach out to folks you know, in the street, trying to get them to come to city college, even like if you come at, in a certain way saying, well, yeah, you know, if you do this, this, and this, then you come, we should just be taking folks as they are, and figuring out where the similarities are, because there are a lot of similarities, you know, when you when you get to the like, like we we're talking about the ideological portion of someone, ideologically, we, we all have pretty similar beliefs in terms of we want good things for a lot of people, you know, for the majority of people, usually. Yeah. And so we, we're, we're, we're quick to shut people out and really filter people out, before we get to know them. And, and I've always tried to, to go to that, to get to know them first before we, you know, all that stuff, because I've seen it happen where I've introduced, I've brought folks into situations. They've been kind of, you know, the conversation becomes more like a grilling where like, do you know this, Mm -hmm. are you aware of this? What is this? And then by then it's like, nah, I'm just not into that. I'm going to go back, you know, over there and chill with the homies over there. So
1: absolutely. And you know, everything, everything you're saying is backed by the research. So we have a, we have a saying, which is that we have to make the revelation irresistible. And and if we can't do that, and I, you know you're talking about outreach and things pertaining to City College, and I'm relating that to larger social change mm-hmm. and, and issues we're seeing in our country and in our culture right now. If we don't make the revolution irresistible, people aren't going to want to join it. And so we find that not only if we alienate folks through shaming and um, the requirement of perfection and purity, not only do they retreat back to where they were, but the research shows us that there's a pendulum effect. Mm-hmm. They don't just retreat back to where they were they become against us um or even more rigid in beliefs that are the opposite of the ones that we were trying to um trying to share and so you know we, we definitely find that when we don't use um positive and welcoming inclusive behaviors to welcome folks of all levels into the movement for social change, we definitely alienate them and, and we even strengthen the other side. And so that's just been proven to really replicate, um, oppressive, uh, methods historically and currently that, that we want to kind of get our, we want to get clarity and stop using those so that we can actually strengthen, strengthen the core.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, on that note, <laughs> on that note, well, that's not intense.
2: <laughs> but it's, hey, you want to talk
0: about
1: um, 80s music and keytars
0: now? Absolutely needs to be said. Absolutely needs to be said. Absolutely needs to be said. It's a nice segue to what brought you to SBCC. So, I mean, 80s music and guitars probably were part of that as well because, you yeah, know, we do have both. They the weren't. Streets. So but I can make the form.
1: connection somehow. Uh, I'll find a way to I'll find a way to bring that full circle. Uh, I'll, I'll get there somehow. I'm not sure how. Yeah. So what brought me to City College? Oh gosh, um, I saw this question when we were chatting, and I thought this is gonna, I need to figure out a way to make this a short story. So
0: depends how far way. back you want to go. Yeah. There's all all, <laughs> way, all kinds of ways you can frame it. You don't have to go far back or Once wherever you want it
1: to do. upon a time and the yeah. far away. Well.
0: Yeah.
1: When I was born, no. Okay. I won't go back that far. Let's start here. I was a graduate student at UCSB. And I was, uh, UCSB is an R1 institution for uh, top five in the country for my discipline. And the goal there is to turn out some really high quality researchers to go to big universities and research and, um, you know, become famous relative relatively speaking famous researchers in the discipline and and lots of my peers and colleagues that I went to grad school um, with did that and and they're awesome they do a lot of that research we talked about earlier that we read um, and reference so that was my sort of path and what I thought I was doing and then one day a when I realized that it was much harder to live in Santa Barbara than I thought it would be a friend of mine said oh you know City College will hire graduate students as part-time adjunct instructors And you can teach a class over there to help supplement your income. And I thought, great. So I went and applied. I got the job. And what ended up happening was I, you know, after a few months went by and I'd been teaching at City College, it dawned on me that all I really wanted to do was go and teach my classes at City College. (laughs) I fell in love with my students. I loved what I did. I loved what I was teaching. I found it to be so much more uh, to have such greater impact than the research I was doing in my lab. I I enjoyed the graduate work and and developing expertise in the discipline, but I really quickly, when I could compare the two side by side, realized that I was not going to be going off to be a researcher at a major university um, sitting in a lab. I was gonna be interfacing with students and having direct impact on students in the classroom. And that was where I was thriving. And so I knew that I had to finish my program. And not, I didn't know that I had to finish, lots of people don't finish, but I knew one thing about the world we live in (laughs) and that is that People definitely tend to listen to you more, especially if you're a woman, if you have those three letters behind your name. And so I figured I would finish because it certainly couldn't hurt me. Finished my PhD. I got a job actually, a really cool job. I was on a bunch of listservs to figure out uh, how to get full-time employment because that was an option at City College at that time. So I took a job with the University of Colorado, but I, I never actually worked at the university. I was a traveling professor for what was called the World Smart Leadership Program. And we had students from 25 different countries in this program is international program and we traveled all over the world and um i was the teacher who taught them their communication classes and other instructors taught different things and they gained college credit in this travel experience which was truly a once in a lifetime and really cool thing but also an unsustainable lifestyle um i was living in a different hotel every week we moved cities every single week
0: every week uh,
1: yeah every week every week it was just such a whirlwind just the opportunity of a lifetime but so um taxing on you know the variety of different different things and so when a full-time position became available at city college I couldn't believe it I was um gosh I was so determined to get that job I just I told everyone I knew that I was gonna get that job I would do anything and I was so excited. I flew back from Japan. I was in Japan at the time. I flew back for the interview. I was here for 24 hours and then they graciously allowed me to do the remainder of the interviews um, over the phone because I was international. And um, I got that job I, and I'm so grateful every day that, that I just had my eye on that prize and, and would not let it go because I knew that's where I could thrive. And I, I, I stick to that to this day. That's where I thrive. I thrive at City College I love the campus, I love the school, I love my students, and I couldn't be happier. And I kind of just feel like I'm living my best life, um, doing the thing that I love, and that is how I got there.
0: It it does seem like interfacing with students is like the purest form of of communication, you know? Like, I mean, the research stuff is nice, but there's a lot of bureaucracy involved, you know? Publishing to a journal and all the vetting process and the peer review, It's. I mean, I feel like teaching students is just so pure and like, you know, like, Yeah. yeah. It is
1: and it's funny you know what you say reminds me of this interesting thing that I that I definitely would love to take the this opportunity in this space to kind of discuss a little bit and that's. um, Education component of it, because I started out as an entirely face to face teacher and then I was um, there were a couple classes, we needed to put online, this is early early days before there were many offerings and I designed some of our very first online courses that we offer still to this day. And I agree with you that teaching students, there's a purity in that and such a joy in it and it's such a unique thing, but I have, I started to notice, not just in other people, but also in myself, there's a very fine line between the role of the teacher and some of the other things that your ego does to you when you have this opportunity to have the stage and um, to have that kind of impact on your students. And once I started teaching online classes, I was teaching three modalities face to face entirely hybrid and also online and I started really noticing a difference in myself in my focus on pedagogy and my focus on really measuring students learning and really taking a lot of the focus off of me as a teacher and the teaching experience and really taking a closer look at how effective I was and my courses were in terms of helping students learn the things they needed to learn to get through the class to transfer to learn the things that were important. You know talking about sort of my my evolution, a lot of that has occurred at City College through. My transition into online learning and what I've what I've learned in that context about how to really reach students and the values of different mod- modalities, not just for the students but also for the instructors, and strengthening our pedagogy, strengthening our skills, and really making ourselves super adaptable for the for the modern world in which we live. I mean, now it sounds like a PSA for online teaching, but but really, um, I do think as a teacher we have to be continuing to grow and develop our skills, and that is one arena where I've had the opportunity to do that, and I'm so grateful for it. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for online instruction. I don't think we should be offering exclusively online instruction by any means. I like offering, I mean, my in my ideal world, and here's a theory, you can throw this one out for the president and anyone else who's listening. I mean, I, in my ideal world, every single class we offer would be offered in three ways, totally face-to-face, hybrid, and entirely online. And that makes it accessible for every learning style, students have a preference, we're serving everyone's needs and meeting every student where they're at and also forcing instructors, not forcing, but encouraging instructors to really develop a larger skill set when it comes to their teaching. So for what it's worth, I don't know if anybody's listening, but I would love to see that happen. Oh, they're listening.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And it would be the best (laughs) way to... Well, I know they're
1: listening. All the (laughs) listening circles and the forums and the town halls. And there's a lot of listening going on. I guess what I'm saying is I'd like to see something happening uh, more often. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, everybody's doing the best they can. I know that. I know that we're in really hard times. Everybody's doing the best they can. City College, the focus is serving students. And everyone that I work with, I mean, I don't know anybody... (laughs) I can't criticize anybody on campus for saying they, they're not serving students that's what we're all doing. and everybody's doing it a little differently and we all have different ideas about how to do it but that is our shared mission and our shared goal i don't know anybody on our campus who, who deviates from that maybe that's just because i'm selective about who i hang around with but i really believe that 90 percent of us if we go back to that Kind of that Loretta Ross model of our circles of influence. We share our students we are all on this campus to do that thing, and if there's a few of us who aren't, eh, you know, I, I'm not. Those aren't the ones I'm bothered with. I'm, yeah. I'm going to bother myself with strengthening the community of people who all have shared interest and and shared values to the degree that we need to have them to to serve our students.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're accurate with that. I think most folks I've never met anyone that hasn't really been primarily focused on student success and trying to really kind of increase that that idea of student success so
1: yeah that's what
0: we're it'd, all about it'd be weird
1: and so i think sometimes though like you probably do this too everybody does this, this is sliding doors effect right where i'm like what if i you know what if i just hadn't <laughs> listened that one colleague you know i hadn't listened to her and i never went and got that job at city college and i just stayed on my one track mind and i went to be a researcher at a major institution and i was there now like what would my life be like it, and
0: yeah yeah and it's kind of incredible uh, all these years later the summer multiverse we find ourselves in today that sliding door is that like 90 late 90s movie with Gwyneth Paltrow oh it's so good but it's like Um, yeah yeah but and you can think of
1: a a million different pivotal (laughs) moments right where it could have been that one thing that you chose differently and I don't even know but I just think it's so interesting to think about and it makes me reflect on how lucky I am for all the the things that have fallen into place
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer. Everyone is where they're supposed to be. Like, there's just no there's no like mistake about it. Everyone is where exactly where they're supposed to be at, because like all the possibilities uh, or that could have actually went a different way and you would be in a different spot is great. Right. And so the fact mm-hmm. that none of that happened and you are where you're at is not by mistake
1: yeah hey thanks for saying that because it really uh it really points out that it's not like you could have done one little thing wrong or maybe today i'll do that one thing wrong and then i won't end up where i'm supposed to be it's really yeah. not like that it's like yeah. it all comes together in the way it's supposed to and exactly you don't like worry too much about that one wrong turn we might have made because here mm-hmm. we are and there's a reason
0: yeah and anytime you make a wrong turn you just take two left turns and you're back where you were, where you were before <laughs> so i mean there's very there's very few there are there are definitely they definitely do exist but there's very few like really really pivotal no turning back like those kind of decisions they do exist and they i mean like you know like do i pick up that crack pipe that's a pivotal like pivotal like you can't go back from it but but most they're not most of them aren't like that and and we put a lot of importance on things that sometimes we think are and that aren't but you know so yeah
1: Although one of those things I think is the people you choose to spend time with. I really do. And that's one of the reasons I love teaching my interpersonal communication class because um, I talk a lot to students about relationships and the relationships we find ourselves in and why we do that and what that says about our own identities and self concepts. And someone asked one time, what, you know, is there anything you regret in life? And my standard answer to that is no way. I love it all. It's all the way it's supposed to be. But if I do regret anything, it's having spent a little too long with. So folks that I maybe should have moved on quicker from, and and I think most people can say that. That's how we learn, right? But um, the more clarity we have about about that, I think the better we we can do. Because I could have, you know, we all thought we could have ended up with somebody different. We could have, you know, found ourselves with different friends and different places. So I always try to point to that. If I do have a regret, that would be it. It's not really a regret; it's more of an insight in my my older wisdom here looking back and so i try to impart that on my students just to think to think consciously about the relationships we're in and the people we surround ourselves with and be really conscious about that and and that will lead you in the right direction one way or another
3: i'm going to say one thing about when you're talking about the three different models for teaching and i know i'm old school i got gray in my beard so but i really believe like you know in in my heart of hearts in in regards to teaching and Educating, you know, I spent some time in West Africa and one thing that I really picked up on is that or or a belief that they held true is that that the knowledge is transmitted from the, the teacher to the student through like it's it's an experience, meaning like a physical presence, because all the tangibles that the students are allowed to pick up on from the teacher, like the compassion piece. Just the pieces of is the teacher present or how the teacher navigates and moves in the classrooms, all of that information that you're taking in from being present, it's really intangible. And so I'm a big fan of in-person, but I also understand to meet everyone where they're at, we need to have three different models. I'm in agreement with that. But I can't underst- can't understate the fact that being in the company in the presence of someone who has mastered something, there's a lot that is to be said uh, for that. So. That's just yeah, my I
1: love that. And, you know, you're talking about equity, really, because mm-hmm. when you say meeting people where they're at, I, I find that, that what I love about what you just said is you perfectly described what you need to learn and, and the learning experience that's ideal and perfect for you. And because you can explain and express that, that is what should be offered to you. That is what you yeah. should, should have. One of my greatest lessons, you know, in, in my 20 plus years of teaching at City College is I have a lot of students who who don't feel that way i have students who have ptsd i have students who have major social anxiety i have a student in my online class right now who's quadriplegic and you know the the the, the in person learning experience is not ideal for so many reasons for those students. So you know on Zoom a couple times a week, or I you know I write I have a book that students read and and they get my voice through the book if listening auditorily isn't their learning style. And so there's just so many um, so many ways to learn. I agree with you. I personally prefer that face-to-face interaction um and you know with with the caveat that we want to be careful about our role as the sage on the stage and the imparter of wisdom and all that Absolutely. um but but i do think there are students so many more than i ever realized especially at city college especially at community colleges who really have different uh, learning styles and learning needs that that we can serve if we're creative and i love doing that i kind of collect in the back of my mind all these incidents and and situations where, Students have shared with me why the on-model is so much better for them. You know, the other thing, too, in terms of equity that I always like to point out um, as a busy working mother is for people who are raising families, mothers or fathers or caretakers of children of any kind, people who are raising families and also trying to work and and provide for their families, the face-to-face learning experience is not only less than ideal, it can be impossible. And so it's quite prohibitive. For, yeah. um, for everybody to learn. And so I just really, I love them. I'm so grateful when my students share with me. I, I, I give them lots of opportunities to share. And as part of um, designing an equitable online learning experience, as you ask them, you know, do you prefer this modality of learning? And if not, what are the ways that I can? make it better for you? And if so, tell me why, because I like to talk about it with other people and other teachers and explain the various stories that I've heard from students and the reasons why they say that, in fact, they wouldn't even be in this class if it weren't offered this way. I'm always, I'm also happy to hear that and to share it out so that we know, you know, we keep in mind that everybody's different. It's that diversity thing, folks. I'm telling you, it's diversity is a good thing. In case we haven't, in case we haven't collectively concluded that yet, um, there's mounting evidence for it. So yeah, I'm into it.
0: And and even just putting on my bad student cap because I was a terrible student, you know, for a long time. Uh, there are a lot of classes where I was checked out, and I was in person. I was just writing on the desk the whole time. So if I had a choice <laughs> to take that class in particular in another modality, I would probably take it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's yeah, funny. Like forcing someone to be in a classroom does not mean they're learning.
2: Right? Absolutely, and
1: that's another thing I've learned about Absolutely. the way that I the way I share materials in the online classes. I've got all these different um, mechanisms to kind of keep their attention while they're engaging in the material, which is something I can't really demand in the face-to-face experience. Sure, you can, you can ask them to put their cell phones in those little cubbies people are doing in the classrooms. <laughs> That's one way to force their attention, but they're thinking about what they're going to do tonight or what they did last night. And I like, I like being creative and learning um, as an instructor how to design materials in, in ways that keep a student's attention and then getting a lot of feedback on that and refining it and just continuing to improve. That's my jam. You know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner in case you can't tell. So that's what I do.
0: Absolutely. Excellent. All right. And, and on that note, segueing. speaking of lifelong learning, our, our, our food section, Good Eden, Um, If you could uh, let us know of uh, either a meal you ate, cooked, or remembered recently that uh, first, you know, comes to your mind, uh, we'd love to hear about it.
1: Okay, guys, can we skip to the music section?
0: (laughs) Wait, you don't have a food? Food is not there?
1: Here's here's what I have to say about food. I don't much care for it. Uh, this is wait, why I I what?
0: What? I wait, wait, what are you I like, know. like an astronaut, like squeezing the tube of like food in your much. mouth. Like-
1: okay. So as you guys know, I do, I do a lot of things. Like you, you I think you started by saying I wear many hats. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of things. I have a lot of interests and I have my many hats, hands and pots, however you want to, whatever um, analogy you want to use. And so to me, food, and again, I'm going to develop, people aren't, I don't know if you can still like me after we have this conversation, but (laughs) food to me is like a major inconvenience because it makes me have to stop in the day and do something about the feeling in my stomach. And so I really, you know, I I have the palate of like a six-year-old and that doesn't mean I don't appreciate, I appreciate all foods. I love spicy food. I've eaten snake and snails and everything. Like I'm I'm down for anything, but I'm not interested in preparing it because I simply don't have the patience.
0: Which is fine. And, yeah, that's perfectly acceptable.
1: You know, and I'm also okay with eating whatever. Like my family jokes, my husband's out of town. My husband is all the cooking in case you can't tell. Um he was out of town for a week and the joke, you know, when we chat on the phone is like, what'd you have for breakfast? Cheese and crackers, what'd you have for lunch? Cheese and crackers, what'd you have for dinner? Macaroni and cheese. <laughs> 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 so he came back last night, and I just can't wait to see what's going to be cooking tonight because I think my body needs some sustenance.
3: <laughs> full full disclosure, Carrie, I was waiting for the guest that to come on the show and be like, "I'm not interested in food." So it's that <laughs> is Carrie. She's officially, we are, our show's official now, huh? We friendly, could, officially have someone that's not into the food.
0: communicative aspect of breaking bread. You know, oh like I-, <laughs> I
1: know, no, I'll it's I'll break the bread. I'll hang out. I I will eat whatever you prepare let me put it that way
0: <laughs> so so like if, if if i said like if you what's your favorite food like nothing pops in your head it's just like whatever like it mac could be cheese. anything mac and cheese okay there we go there that's something we've got something is, it, there. is that
3: mac and cheese or mac and cheese out of convenience uh
1: yeah i like <laughs> food that's con- i like food that's convenient too. that's what it i'm that's what i'm emotional- picking up on mm-hmm. yeah for sure i mean yeah, you know Akil's seen me eat akil and i went to a great restaurant um and a couple times and and I love to eat good food it's just I'm not thinking about it until I'm actually eating it and saying oh this is good food wow
0: and that's actually a gift <laughs> that's a gift that you say you don't have to think about it because I'm thinking about my next meal while I'm eating my current meal like I'm already I'm already <laughs> like onto on to the next one like I guess that's that my shows, that shows my extreme my, how how little things I do outside of my day-to-day life because yeah I, I probably could have a few more hobbies if i wasn't thinking about food so much during See, the day.
1: There it is. My, my although i you know maybe because my daughter's super active too she does a lot of stuff she's an athlete and she's also a foodie and she is the one who's thinking about the next meal so we are eating whatever we're eating she's talking about what we're going to be eating next so like she'll come home she'll go on a run in the morning and come home and she'll make a steaming plate of broccoli for
2: breakfast.
1: And then she'll top it off with a huge thing of oatmeal with every every type of fruit and, and nut you can put in there. Um, and then she starts talking about what's for lunch. So no, I, I have that here in my house and my family and I just, um, I'm, I'm like an alien that way. I don't I don't
0: get it. Okay, so so for the show notes I won't even bother with the recipe for mac and cheese. I'll just put a link <laughs> no. to like the craft box. You know, like uh-
3: <laughs> Yeah, do it, do it,
1: do it. Oh, I do make one thing. I make one thing. Okay. I make chili.
0: Oh, there we go
1: because it takes it, seriously, like three minutes to open a bunch of cans and throw them in the slow cooker. <laughs> and it tastes it tastes incredible. And one of our colleagues, I shared a chili recipe, Lynette Williamson, who is an awesome colleague over in HIT, um, she shared with me, she heard that the only thing I make is chili. And so she sent me a recipe and it's got chocolate in it, or cocoa. It's got cocoa in it. Oh, yeah. um, and you mm. put cocoa powder in the chili and it really um, makes it more interesting. And it makes me sound like I'm like, I know how to cook when I talk about it. So I kind of have that one in my back pocket. Anytime I find myself with foodie types and I feel like an outcast, I can always pull out the chocolate chili recipe.
0: Excellent. There we go. That's, that's for the show notes. (laughs) Chili slow cooker, chili recipe. There we go. See, I mean, even then as. As cursory as you think it is, it, it still has a piece of the puzzle. Piece You're the
1: puzzle. right. So I stand corrected. I am interested in food and I can talk about food. <laughs> and, and, and I am just like you in that way.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Three points of commonality, you know? We yeah, don't like, anybody, you just know? like
0: we were talking about earlier. No, and that's that's the thing is like, as long as you have that little that little bit that can attach you to the to the overarching culture, that's all you need. That's yeah. all we should really be asking people is because it takes a lot to care about even one piece of that puzzle. Like, you know, like, it, uh, yeah, I don't I don't need to hear about unctuousness and like, you know, the mouthfeel of certain foods as long as you like, hey, I like chili. That's all I need. That, I mean, that's it. You know, like that's yeah. a new
1: word. What, what was that word again? I need to learn Un- that
0: one. Unctuousness. <laughs> unctuousness
1: okay. Okay. Now I'm really going to sound like I know what I'm talking about. with the Oh, yeah.
0: The mouthfeel of my chili. Yeah, the unctuousness of each bite. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, b- thank you for sharing. That was a, that ended up being a illuminating conversation in and of itself just because, yeah, we can get to the... the that's the, the the ideological side of the of, of of food conversation.
1: But now you know something about me. And so we feel like we know each other better because I've disclosed this kind of weird thing and it's like kind of a intimate well, I mean, detail. I don't know.
0: And it's less weird in today's world because, you know, I, I know the some of those tech bros, they just drink soylin all day. So, you know, it, oh, yeah. it, it happens.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that... I haven't gone that far as, you know, next to my desk where I work, just having a stack of those. (laughs) And just not having
0: to do anything Yeah, It's like, this is sustenance, all I need, yeah, adequate. Yes. It,
1: I'd probably be better off if I were doing that because I think those have more nutritional value than the, than the things I tend to use to um, to stop the feeling in my stomach. So I think... Yeah, <laughs> cheese, and, cheese, and crackers,
0: cheese and crackers, there's a little, There's a comfort food element to that too. Like the charcuterie board and all that stuff. Like it is, it is relaxing that cheese and crackers. Yeah.
1: For sure. But to, just, you know, to be clear, I'm talking about like pre sliced yeah. <laughs>
3: Come on. I'm, I'm like, Tom, stop. Like, stop stretching. Stop stretching. I mean, you're trying I'm to like, make me into a foodie. Like, I'm, I'm like, Thank you. I was like, I, I know she likes mac and cheese out of convenience, dude. Like, yeah. like stop. She's really trying to stress for the So, dude, I'm, I'm I'm trying i trying to
0: make
1: me something I'm not.
0: I'm not making something. Not, I'm giving you. I'm giving you credit for what you are. That's what. I, that's where I'm at. See, like I don't. I don't make someone what they're not. I give them more credit than I should for what they are. Right.
3: So. <laughs> so oh. funny.
0: All right. There's so I'll, I'll go. Next cause, yeah. cause I'll go next. Cause I'll go next is my pick actually. Um, Fits with us a little bit. I was thinking about like kind of childhood food memories. And one of the more profound foods in my life growing up was actually chili fries. I, I worked at Wiener Schinzel, full disclosure, in high school for a little while. But my primary avenue was the, the kind of the corner hood burger joints that had burgers, fries, onion rings, soda. Like, you know, you hang out with friends. That's where you would go get, you know, burger, chili fries. And in L.A., we had a bunch of spots. We had, you know, in my side, side of L.A., we had uh, the Hat, you know, famous for Chili Fries, Tops and Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a few places. I was talking with Zane about this the other day because he grew up near where I did. And we were just talking about how much Chili Fries meant to our lives. And I mean, the Wieners and Chili Fries were the worst of the bunch, but they were still good. But, you know, Santa Barbara just doesn't have that same kind of they have the great burgers here in Santa Barbara. I mean, the Habit is one of the greatest. Mm-hmm. probably my pick for best fast food burger even over in and out i would say because i do love shredded lettuce but in terms of the hat doesn't have mm-hmm. chili fries i mean a lot of the burger joints down don't have chili fries but dave's dogs and durfs has chili fries mm-hmm. interestingly enough and then um there's a, a couple other places but I, i'll for, for me i guess dave's dogs and durfs Dave's dogs actually would do chili cheese tots as well which is nice but mm-hmm. i mean it, it doesn't hit the same but when i have that craving it's it's the closest i
3: get so that's uh. really you know the Padero Grill down here in Carp. Well, oh yeah. Almost in Carp. That's they're yeah. pretty good. Yeah, pretty good too.
1: All of those sound like options that are gonna take too much time. Is, are any of these available at the drive thru?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, not in town here, no. But if you go to LA, like yeah, most of the hood burger joints will have a drive thru as well. I mean, it's one of those drive throughs where it's like the old school drive thru where it's just like if you're walking up to the counter to order. So it's not like you save any time. You're just yeah. in a car waiting for your food as right. opposed to at the counter waiting for your food, you know, but still, yeah
3: absolutely one thing I, I want you to try Hong, huh, if you go to if you go there is they also do uh and this is the only place i've ever seen it done but they do uh clam chowder fries so basically they take their clam chowders and they put it over the fries oh it's really good with tabasco and all that so yeah uh,
0: I, i'd be down with that because yeah even yeah. in and out in and out has animal style fries and i'm like oh well, i don't this is just a pale imitation of chili fries and then i <laughs> ate it and i'm like There's something about this that I just can't stop eating it, and I feel like clam chowder fries would be similar. Yeah, right. Where I'd I'd be able to get down with those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can get into
1: either of
0: those. Yeah. So yeah, I'll put some links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it's 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 like chili fries is just one of those things. So like, yeah, I I didn't eat a lot of it at home because my mom, yeah, she had no concept of the of the. But when I would go out with friends, I would be like, yeah, the number one, and and those kind of comfort foods, just like cheese and crackers, just like Mm -hmm. you know, chili, whatever hits it. You know, you got to you got to embrace it. So
3: all right well i'll go um i got two quick picks or so and i'll be short so we can talk um music but one is there's a new spot and Hong and i have talked about this um in oxnard it's called uh crumble cookie um mm. that just to open up it's kind of basically down by nordstrom rack and oxnard um and the cookies are absolutely amazing um just they're kind of more like um gourmet cookies where so they have their menu kind of changes weekly um if you're into hot fresh baked cookies that are like almost like a donut in, in size um you definitely have to go there um and it's just a whole it's a whole vibe it's a whole vibe when you walk in and, and everything like the way that they you know um the kitchen set up it's, it's an experience right and so um s- Super great cookies. Um, I won't be longer than that. Check it out. I know we got a lot of um, co-workers that live down in the Ventura Oxnard area. So that's an easy drive over. Um, so treat yourself. And then <laughs> lastly, um, Hong and I yesterday when we had lunch, oh, we walked over to Sweet's ice cream parlor on the Mesa. So the reason why I'm throwing them some love, one is because they're local, and two, it's right by, up, uh, right by campus. So if you're ever feeling an ice cream urge while you're uh, at work uh run up there um uh, they, they use McConnell's ice cream right Hong you were saying that's McConnell's. Right. Mm-hmm. um I got the Earl Grey uh shortbread right uh, Earl Grey and cookies I think that's what it's, it is, is and that's one of my favorites um so those are the two my two picks for the week I uh, got one in, in the Ventura area Oxnard area one right up on the Mesa so
1: that is such good information. It, it I, I'm so appreciative that you shared that with me because, as you know, I wouldn't have gotten that knowledge on my own. So here I have all this uh, information to bring back to my family of foodies and pretend like I'm going <laughs> oh. to take them all around town and to have some good food.
3: Man, the cookies, the girls are going to love them. If you take them there, it's like, you're really going to be like, what is this?
1: We go through there all the time.
3: And uh, I know you yeah. do from traveling. Yeah, yeah. Yo,
1: <laughs> I know. So we will check that out for sure. Absolutely. But today we might check out the one on the Mesa. So thanks yeah. for
3: that. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, here we go. Higher learning time. We're segueing to, to higher learning, our culture piece. So, Carrie, I think I know what we're going to talk about, but any oh, yeah. piece of culture, you know, let's yeah. kick it off.
1: Well, before I logged on today, I was actually making a little playlist for both of you that I'll share later um, because I feel like there's just no way to fully talk about music without kind of sharing. I love sharing things, you know, the pop culture stuff that that I consume. I love sharing it. So, you know, we didn't, oh, yeah. didn't talk about it. And it's podcasts, important. I feel like that's so very that's a very important it's so important I, I find um like podcasts are a place where I just consume not you know learning constantly like akil said I do a lot of traveling so if I'm in the car just anytime I'm listening to a podcast so I've got if you go to listen notes and you search me at CC hutch you can see like giant collection of all my different their collections so I take podcasts on different themes and I put them together in shareable um, playlists for folks and I access those all the time I love those um and then with music playlist sharing with friends is something i really like to do it's the modern version of the mixtape so i would if we were back in the 80s i would have made you all mixtape but today i made you a playlist so i'll show that later so yeah what do i like what's on there well i guess you'll have to you'll have to wait and see it's funny so you know i know we're going to talk about the fact that i play music in an 80s band but 80s music is not my genre of choice so I, I play 80s music because people love it they love dancing to it everybody knows the lyrics it brings a lot of joy it's super fun I get to wear fun things. Um, And that's pretty much why I do it for the fun of it. But it's really not my, it's not like people always say like, what's your favorite 80s song? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even, you know, in my house, I would never have that on um, unless I'm I'm learning lyrics, which I'm doing a lot of the times, which is kind of funny too, because both my daughters, they know a lot more about 80s music than any person should their age. They know all the lyrics because I'm-
0: And 80s still carries- when you play oh. it live, because listen, oh, yeah. so I I love the '80s because I it was it was forced on me, you know, like it was like I had K Rock flashback lunch, and you know the, yeah. the new wave, all that post punk stuff was still huge, was but now they play '80s on K on K Earth, the oldies station in LA. We're I know dead. they're calling it oldies to, now. Yeah, so. So, and it's, but it still carries, it's still, I mean.
1: Oh my gosh, people, people love it. So we had, we just did um, some of the stuff we do were fundraisers. So we do stuff just for, for playing music out. Um, my band, by the way, is called Joysticks, 80s cover band. Um, you can find us on all the socials, but we uh, just did a fundraiser for the Westside Clinics. It was out at the courtyard um, behind the Draftsmen on State Street. And so in um, collaboration with Darla B, who's a local DJ and the draftsman, we did a fundraiser for Westside Clinic and and, um, we raised $1,700. There was a few hundred people um, all coming out to listen to 80s music and and raise some money and drink some good beer. And people really do come out. They even we have we have kind of a following and we we don't play all the same things. We add new songs in every time we gig. But, you know, the 80s music is it's all the same. There's not going to be any new 80s songs (laughs) coming out. (laughs) And so people still love to hear it and they love to. It's just it's nostalgic. It's poppy. It's fun most people know if you shop at trader joe's you know all the lyrics because they're just playing it everywhere so it's just yeah it's it still has a big a big draw and even some of the younger folks are getting getting more into it now so i say the younger folks but you know our demographic is is people like us and come out and just have a really good time and take a load off you know in this in this world so my one of my favorite quotes or you know so my philosophy, really, that I try to live by is fueled by rage, sustained <laughs> by joy, right? Fueled by rage, sustained by joy. So, you know, I have a lot of cold anger, a lot of underlying current of rage, like most people, and I find that we, we can work on that all day long, and then we got to go take a load off and rock out at night and, and bring some joy. So that's what I try to do. Akhil just flashed, this is a podcast so people can't see it, but he just flashed our <laughs> business card there, which look this like um yeah it looks like an 80s video game and then on the back we have all the characters in our band which are um kind of look like pac-man um for pac-man and and of course mrs pac-man that's me mm-hmm. i'm gonna say pac-woman <laughs> 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 mrs pac-man that's me
0: <laughs> so so is it just is it kind of do you hit all the kind of genres of the 80s because the 80s to me is really the first kind of big boom of independent music because you know the punk punk broke in 77 so 80s was kind of the first kind of college rock bubbling up. So you have, the, you know, the new wave post-punk, you have the yacht rock as it, as it is called, and you have the 80s pop, and then you have yeah. like hardcore punk and like, you know, the 80s independent music. So is it is it really just kind of like new wave chiptune stuff, or is it,
1: well, it runs the funny, gamut. It's funny you should ask, are either of you in bands who play music by chance? No. Okay. So band practice is a fun and interesting experience. And a lot of what we do in band practice, which we try try to do about once a week, but typically only get to it every couple of weeks. But at band practice, we talk, we talk a lot about the philosophy that you just sort of summarized there, which is who are, you know, what kind of 80s music do we want to play? And so we have different criteria that we use. We try, we like to play B-sides. We like to play stuff that is, surprises people a little bit. So it's it's familiar, but it's not the most familiar top 40, 80s song, um, you know, stuff stuff that will surprise people a little bit, but still sounds good. We like to play stuff that's pretty up tempo, so we keep people happy and dancing, but we have some some slower tempo songs that we throw in there. Like I, I sing Voices Carry and a couple other It's My Life and a couple other sort of slower ones. Um, and then we try not to, to do all the songs that other 80s cover bands do, you know, to just keep it kind of different and have our own identity a little bit um so we're not above one hit wonders we're not we're not above anything really it's all for fun but we try to um we do try to be selective about the the song choices and uh, i have a little set list i was like i know they're gonna ask me what songs we play and i'm never gonna i'm not i don't remember when i'm out oh
0: that, those so two I are know. those that's all i need to hear <laughs> till til tuesday voices carry that's a classic uh, and yeah it's my yeah. life has already been covered you know no doubt that the cover so you said you don't 80s music is not your primary primary listening what, what what's your go-to what, what do you got Ah,
1: I'm into a lot of things. So it's, it's eclectic as I think anybody mm-hmm. would say, um, my, 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 uh, preferences with music. It depends on what I'm doing that I want the background music too. So I'm really into, because I'm doing a lot of working and, uh, my kids were doing a lot of working, studying at home there for a time. We like, um, lo-fi and, you know, some stuff, some background music. I used to be super into trip hop. That's kind of, um, that was one of my favorite sort of genres or eras with like Portishead and Massive Attack and, like
0: like mogwai
1: yeah yeah Yeah, i love that stuff um but you know that gets old because it's a little dark and um i like to listen to these remixes so one of my favorite things now is like the worst question you could ask anybody in the modern day is like what's your favorite album because we don't really do albums anymore you know so I, that's just ancient well, history, Well, I mean, right? they've
0: expanded now. Now you get like either a top 10 or like a top 50 because yeah, just yeah. one album isn't possible. So you right. get like a top five, top 10, totally.
1: you know. Totally. That's not even how we listen to music, right? So my, it's more like, what's your favorite song to punch into Pandora and then go down a rabbit <laughs> hole of different songs that are suggested to you that you never would have picked yourself, but you end up really liking. Like that's a good, <laughs> that's the way to ask the question, I think. So for me, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pop in something into Pandora and then just like let them take me on a musical adventure, which I- I really quite enjoy, but yeah, stuff, stuff that's um, not lyrical, that's really good backdrop music for studying and working. I always like that, but um, I'm into some of the old, the classics like Nina Simone's always been a huge favorite. Um, and to kind of modernize it a little bit, I'm enjoying what people are doing with remixes. So in your little playlist, I'll share with you, there's some cool Nina Simone remixes where um, DJs and, and artists who are more modern day are doing cool things with her music that make it really um really pop so not that it wasn't good enough originally but you know music is all about creativity and i love what people are doing with other people's music which is why I'm in a cover band. <laughs> and, and
0: you and you specifically mentioned keytar as we as we were playing in the show. Yeah. If it the guitar is, you know, it's it's a synthesizer, but if so, for folks that aren't as familiar with the keytar versus a synth or you know, etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, is there a song that you recommend to listen to? Like is it like a Herbie Hancock or a Devo, or is there anything that you would point to that would really kind of illuminate folks on the like the the, the bre- depth and breadth of the keytar in, in a couple songs?
1: what a great question because it allows me to tell folks that the guitar is so much more about appearance than it is about sound um <laughs> really so the guitar basically just does anything that a standing keyboard can do it's just that you're wearing it and you're playing it i mean it's what us us piano players use who always wanted to be guitarists right so that's why <laughs> I, I i i treat it like it's a guitar i play it like it's a guitar so you it's really a bootleg gotta... piano.
3: It's a bootleg, <laughs> piano. It's a bootleg <laughs> it's got, piano. It's
0: got fewer keys, but you can you can riff on it because you can like play yeah. So it, but it, it's it's like, yeah. So
1: it's like you couldn't really look up guitar songs because you can play any song on the guitar. So the best thing to do to get familiar with the instrument is to Google it images, and you know Lady Gaga's got a killer guitar. She uses the one that I use actually, or she has many. I typically play parts that would be typical of a piano, but also because we're really creative in our band. We like to mix things up. We even have our members rotating, playing different instruments and so I'll play like guitar solos on the guitar or I'll, I'll do parts that are not typically a standard keyboard or piano part. And I'll, I'll fill in with all the different sounds. Plus the cool thing about a synthesizer, which everybody knows who's from our era is um, it can do things other than piano sounds, right? So. I can do seagulls and I can do, like we play Blondie hanging on the telephone and I've got a cool old school telephone sound that we, that I play on the guitar before it starts. So it just helps it be creative and fun and people tend to like it and it looks good. I mean, it's it's a big, mine is big
0: instrument. It looks really cool. And the fact that you sing, I mean, when you have a synthesizer on a stand, you know, or play, playing with singing, I mean, with the guitar it makes it easy for you to sing, I imagine, as well. So. Yeah,
1: it's awesome. And we have a, some cool wireless equipment that allows me to run out with it and, um, you know, play amongst the audience and, and do different things. So depending on where we're playing, that that can be <laughs> more or less dangerous, but it is fun. It makes it really fun.
3: Do you have any song that you're like, you just... like you cringe every time people want it but it's always asked for
1: oh my gosh Uh, yes of course people always (laughs) ask for um oh what do i want to what now it's not coming to me even though they're constantly shouting so here's the the typical thing that happens people typically shout to us classic rock 70s songs that they want us to play and we've just now played three hours of fully 80s music (laughs) and somebody's shouting free bird okay free bird is the one right they're shouting free bird at us. And we're like, oh, man, if you haven't figured it out by now, we are not playing that song. So track, There's a lot of that up to alcohol?
3: To <laughs> that, that, may be, that may be the alcohol speaking uh,
1: it's, it's true. And on the one hand, I'm grateful because a, a, a crowd with beers in their hands is a lot more fun than a crowd without them. But on the other hand, yeah, at yeah. The, by the end of the night, People are pretty, um, pretty vocal about the things they want to hear. And a lot of the times we can meet those needs. And other times we roll our eyes and say, that band is playing over at whatever Cold Spring Tavern. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, but it's
1: good fun. I mean, if you haven't come out, I hope you come out. Hey, City College people come out all the time. We've got, I have a couple groupies on campus, shout out to Rachel Johnson. Rachel Johnson always comes out. See, I, I saw Z at one of our shows. Gosh, I'm trying to think of who else. I, I, I actually have a few colleagues on campus who I've been in bands with before. Doug Folsom over in physics was a former bandmate and Mark Bulbro. I didn't play music with him, but he's a musician. So we've got a lot of creatives on campus and we have that shared commonality of loving music. Hey, and Hong, we talked about this before, but... I was, I was asked, our band was asked to play it in service and we really wanted to, but it was a daytime gig and we typically don't do that because we all have day jobs, real jobs and only do music in the evenings but we would love to do some kind of fundraiser some kind of thing. We, we do stuff to raise funds all the time so we would love to do an evening event for City College where colleagues can come out, be in community with each other shared our common love of 80s music or at least live music. And, um, yeah, I get to know that aspect of each other. I, I played in bands at a couple city college things, just small trios and stuff. One of them was a, a academic Senate party years and years ago, and I was playing with a small group of people. And I got to tell you, looking out and seeing my colleagues, people from different departments, staff, faculty, and seeing them just rocking out is so fun <laughs> and, and really opens up our minds about our various personalities and, uh, our common interests and just really develops a sense of community so i would akil and i have talked about this movement we're calling hashtag bring back the fun right akil and this Absolutely. is where we're gonna make going to campus fun again so we can yeah. draw in more people and bring in yep. people face to face so maybe it could yep. be part of the bring yep. back the fun campaign to have some live music and an event where people are kind of letting loose and showing a different side of themselves taking off their scholarly um identities and, and kind of rocking out yeah. that's what i like to do
3: Yep. hong will be in the dunk
0: tank We'll put Hong in the dunk tank, dude. Hey, I, yeah. and, I got, and I got the PA, so I'll set up the back line, then I'll happily head over to the dunk tank, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, though, I have to say, though, Hong, you're not a perfect dunk tank candidate because you're too likable. And I think <laughs> the ideal person for the dunk tank is someone that has a few grievances, you know, like someone who have got some grievances against, or at least somebody in a position of such enormous power that we would love nothing more than to, like, just dunk them or throw a pie in their face or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this, is,
0: this,
1: is, this is getting dark, but I'm not saying anything. We don't
0: already know, right? So in the, in terms of the best way to keep, keep track of where, where you're playing, is it, is it social media? Or is there a, do you have a band website or is it just social we media? We have a website,
1: but I don't know if people are still using stuff like that. I, I think uh, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram are the yeah. So it's joysticks it's spelled J O Y S T I X. So you can look up joysticks. It'll identify that we're in Santa Barbara. Check us out and come out and see us.
3: I love the name.
1: Yeah, the name's fun. Um, so I came good. up with that name at, uh, at, the, at the start, and it really kind of got at the heart of, of what it is we're doing. We're bringing the joy. We're fueled by rage, sustained by joy. And that's what we're doing out there, having a good time. Yeah, so and- please, everybody, come out and say hi to me when you do, in case I don't see <laughs> you, because sometimes there's lots of people.
0: And like like I said that yeah the '80s have a special place in my heart and most folks who grew up in in East L.A. you know the Holy Trinity is the Cure, Depeche Mode, and the Smiths. So the '80s That's are right. enshrined in yeah in, in coming of age in that area. So, so absolutely, absolutely yeah. I will try to check y'all out because I got to get my son on that too. Because yeah,
3: I'm more like the gutters '80s man. I'm like like those three bands are pretty pretty. They're legends in their own right. I'm more like Rupert Holmes and. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite A's songs is Answering uh, Machine. I don't oh, know if yeah. you guys heard of that one. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Sing, so... us bar.
1: Sing us a bar. Nah, no, no. Nah,
3: nah. It's so bad. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the show notes. <laughs> the song is so bad that it's actually good. Like, you know how like sometimes you'll see people and you're like, guys, that person's offbeat. But it's, they're so offbeat that it's like, Oh, okay. They're on yeah. beat. It's like it mental was. mind trick. That's how the song is. You'll see it. it's so bad that you, after a while, you'll be like, Oh, this is actually kind of good. It's a horrible song. I can't song
1: wait to hear it, and I can't wait to use that excuse the next time I screw up a song. It's like, hey, it was so bad, it was <laughs> that good. It was good. Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because, yeah, there's, there's, there's depth and breadth in terms of the 80s music. Yeah, it, it, it is a it is an ocean, not a lake, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. An ocean. Yeah. To bring it back to yacht rock, it is an ocean.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Because everything comes back to yacht rock, really, don't you think?
0: Of course. <laughs> I mean,
3: yeah. In terms, in terms it's of a, the alpha a, and the omega,
0: capitalism is is the way of the world nowadays. So, in terms of yeah, you, you, what well, well, folks aspire to, you want to listen to Doobie Brothers on a yacht? That's that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Akil, you want to go? You want me to go?
3: Yeah, you can go. I'm good. I, I all right. yeah.
0: I got a quick one this week. There's a show. It's on Netflix, but it's all, I think it's on History Channel called Alone. It's a reality show where folks try to survive on an island. I mean, it's it's just. I uh, I've always thought I was a survivalist and I would, I'd be able to kind of survive on my own, but now watching the show, I realized no, there's no there's no way. I always think of there's a, that talib quality line.'re we, survivalists turn to consumers. you know like I'm like, oh yeah, I, I got this. I, I, I'd be a total survivor. I'd be fine. Watching these folks, they, the, the premise is basically it's like survivor, but actually what survivor really would be and but they' they're forced to you know they put them on an island alone, you see how long they go and the last person that, that stays wins 500 grand. So it's a simple premise. They can bring 10 things with them. And so they bring like bows and arrows and stuff for housing or stuff to start a fire and they just out there living. And and it's tough. I mean, folks are, you know, a lot of folks quit just because they want to see their families again, which is, you know, yeah. when you're alone, that that social aspect is important, but a lot of folks really do. Like if, you, if you're unable to find food, they can, you know, they, they can tap out or yeah, they push a button, the preachers kind of pick them up. So, but it's, it's a cool premise and it's kind of a cool show. Cause it just it does give me like, does make you want to go camping like not on that level but like just to just to be out there in nature because it is it is pretty profound some of the things that they that, that being alone kind of sparks in them but it's a yeah it's a cool show so it's on netflix but it's i think new episodes air on the history channel uh, but i'll put a link in the show notes and, yeah. do
1: they let them bring one item because I'm they can
0: bring like 10 them. they bring like 10 items so, ha, okay. so so they can bring like a fire starter bow and arrow and some like a, a hacksaw because a lot of them are like building shelters so they have to like like literally cut logs and, and, and etched notches and things and stuff. So so what
1: so, yeah. would you bring? I want to know what would be, it, let's say it were one item.
0: Well, I see. I'm not talking about bringing a bow and arrow because I don't, I don't have that kind of skill. So I would definitely bring like a hacksaw. I would bring something to start a fire, like a, like a Flint, you know, like a magnesium bar or something to start fires. And then, yeah, a tarp. I bring a tarp as well. Cause it, cause the Smart. weather does, does start to play and, and water resistance would be key for me. Smart. And then, I would bring food, but they they don't bring food because yeah. That's I what I was gonna say.
1: I bring a bag of cheese and crackers, but that
0: shows you how. Yeah, yeah that, would, that, that would you how you long food. I would last. But yeah, I mean they're like foraging for for mushrooms and eating berries and stuff, and I'm like, oh man, see, I wouldn't I wouldn't make it too long, but but no. I guess evidently some of the folks can go. Like they, some of the winners have gone over 100 days just alone in the wild, like bears all like, and they do give them bear spray, so like they do have like stuff to Wait, fight against bear them. spray. Because if the bears come by, they have you can spray them with the bear spray if they get really close, or they give them like some like like flare like flare pops like noisemakers to try to scare them away. Because yeah, the animals start roaming too because they see a human. The human's like getting food if they catch fish or something. So yeah, they're sniffing around the campsites. Like it's it's a cool show, okay. but yeah, I it, would it, die for sure. You know, yeah, I mean it, it does make me think like the survivalist I thought I was. Like yeah, I'm not really about that life. But
1: it's also yeah. a funny commentary on our culture, right? That we we need to we need to watch people still electively and on purpose putting themselves in situations <laughs> like this.
0: It's yeah, yeah. to 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 I quote mean, to quote yeah. Talib when he was in Blackstar, most death uh, we chasing after death just to call ourselves brave, still right. living like mental slaves. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things where like, why do you do this? But at the same time, like, I am kind of interested. Like I, I am watching, you know, sure. <laughs> as well. So Last yeah.
3: night, last night, uh Roxanne was watching one of those same shows. I like I came in and I'm like, What is this? And then she's like, It's I forget the name of the show. But basically, these guys only they the whole premise of the show is to be bitten or stung <laughs> by a crazy animal. Like last last night they were doing the electric eel. So oh. they was it they had it in the tank, they hooked him up to the EKG. Uh, and they would just touch it. And they're like, oh, I'm like, so the whole person is stung? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you
0: better let me sure. know the names so I can put them in the show notes because I'll, I'll let you know. I am interested. I'll-
1: I i didn't know we were going to talk about, um or actually, I did know, but I didn't answer the question about films or movies. And I feel like I need to balance out the potential gender bias here, if you don't mind, because I do feel like <laughs> these were Bible shows. Hey, I don't want to stereotype, but. <laughs> Nothing. I, there's nothing appealing to me about a survival show or a show where people <laughs> get bitten or stung or where they fight each other. So <laughs> I want to tell you what I was watching recently um, the other night in the context of cultural um, current events. Um, Reversing Row is an incredible documentary on Netflix and another one called The Janes, which is a really Oh, cool The Janes was excellent. Oh, on HBO. Um, yes. Yeah. The Janes is just inc- incredible. And in terms of like so and um, change agents and and how to be a change agent at the agent at the level where you um, where you can and the circles of influence you have the Jane's is such an inspirational one for for young people to watch about um, things that can be done despite um, sort of oppressive forces in our culture so yeah incredible Uh, those are good if you want to put those in the show notes to balance out so that we have a representative um, collection of things for folks to consume (laughs)
0: Definitely. And the, the Janes was excellent because I, I that's always been the question for me is how do you actually get things done in the systems that we have that exist today? So seeing how, how these women actually made things happen and in a much more oppressive climate, you know, in a much more kind of oppressive situation, like the system we have today has, has a little bit more opportunity than the systems that they came up, you know, in the fifties and sixties, et cetera. I mean, it was just, it was really insightful and inspiring to see how much they got done and, and how effective, protest was. I mean, I, I guess I guess maybe that was something where protest was more effective then than now, which I'm not sure of. But at the same time, like yeah, it was, it was cool to see.
1: I mean, the thing I loved about, it, and we didn't talk at all today about my role in showing up for racial justice, but as a, you know, I'm a community organizer with with Surge, um, Surge Santa Barbara and, and I work with Surge National. And the thing that I love about that, the Janes documentary and, and a lot of the other stuff where I take a page out of these um, incredible resources is the strategy. I'm really into strategy, you know, and it's all about looking around with what, seeing what you have and figuring out what to do that's going to make change in a way that's effective and kind of also linking that to our conversation about how to influence people and how to harness our our spheres of influence. But like with Surge, we did a, um, we did phone banking for Stacey Abrams on Wednesday. Actually, it wasn't phone banking, it was text banking, you know, and each of us, there's like 300 people on the call, and we each were tasked with texting 2,000 people in a span of two hours. And the thing I loved about it was was really strategic in terms of what we were and weren't doing. All we were doing in this round one is what they were calling it, is we were trying to figure out who are people who are undecided. So there was no influencing, there's no persuading, there was not, no conversations to be had except to figure out who that we text is somebody who's undecided on how they're going to vote. And then from that information, we're going to come up with another bank and we're going to do the next level, which is calling. And then from the calling level, we're going to have people on the ground canvassing in Georgia. So... The strategy that they that they talk about in the Janes and how these brilliant women just um, took a look around and figured out what they needed to do in order to provide um, resources to ensure human rights was just pretty incredible. That's what I'm all about. I love like looking around and just figuring out how can we make change? We are not stuck with what we have here, folks. We There's so much we can do. And all we got to do is be strategic about it and look around, harness our circles of influence and be good and decent people while we're doing it to emulate the the conditions that we're trying to advocate for. Um, and it's as simple as that let's go change the world
3: yep well said well said well said hung Sh- uh, the name of the show is the king of kings of pain <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay yeah <laughs> kings the james the
0: Janes and then kings of pain that'll be right next to each other in the show notes yeah
1: uh, yeah just look at that like it's got kings it's got violence it's, <laughs> hey, whatever. it's all about balance <laughs> right though
3: right Last show I was talking about uh, married at first sight, so you know we go, we got hey, we're balanced, hey, we're go. we're balanced on here, right? Huh? Oh
0: yeah, we try to be. We definitely do. <laughs> All right, Akil, what you got?
3: Um, I think I'm good. I I'm mean, you can throw Kings of Pain in yep. there, and, and and that will be the pick. And, I mean, I, I can't claim that to watch every episode. I just saw 15 minutes of a guy trying to touch <laughs> a, an electric eel in a tank.
2: So <laughs> don't hold
3: me to that. But that's you know what I mean. If you're into that kind of survival themes type shows then i think you may like and, it
0: so i'll, I'll in, in the terms of uh, of, of connecting carrie's uh, social justice work i'll also link uh my coworker kirsten linking me to a video of carrie speaking at uh, association of women in communications you it was an award speech that you won i think in 2018 or something where you your first thing you said was you made a point to emphasize that you the work you did was you know standing on the shoulders of, of other women who weren't as represented and stuff and i and just listen to that when i was really really kind of profound and I was really it was really just a great speech so I and she she needed me to meet him just like you know in preparation for this show like oh my god you have Carrie on the show you have to you have to watch this and I had not seen it before and uh, it was amazing. So I'll throw that in the show notes as well. Just because, you Thank know, you just so much. I appreciate circle.
1: that. And if you can put the surge, the, the link to showing up for racial justice, that would be um, Absolutely. a nice favor as well. Because I, I have, I'm i committed to every time I speak and every time I um, take up space in a stage or the microphone, I want to make sure to amplify um, the places where people can actually participate and get involved so that we're actually yeah, building and not just um, consuming space.
0: Absolutely. So, yes, thank you, Carrie, for coming on the show today. It was an honor to have you. Um, thank you any, so much. Any other parting words before we say goodbye? Um,
1: well, I can take you out the way I take folks out at one of our Joy 6 shows, <laughs> is by singing a bar from Goodbye to You. Let's do it. Goodbye to you. Goodbye to you, goodbye to you, and you, and you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for such a good time at Killin' Hong. It was so wonderful to have you here. Check us out at the next one. Goodbye to you. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: And that's yeah, no filter, no, no, yeah. That was just like no, no vocal cord warm ups, and just boom, pitch perfect, just hitting it right there. True professional. <laughs> you guys
1: are editing that out, right? That was just a joke between you and me, right? right?
3: No, there will be no editing in that.
0: <laughs> I, I, that would be a disservice to, to the audience to edit that out, because like I said, that was pitch perfect. Just boom, like it wasn't like yeah, we didn't have to like we didn't like cut. There's no like jump jump cut where you had to like do vocal warm ups, drink some ginger honey tea, just boom, just hit just a, a, a true performer, true professional.
1: Well, thank the only you. thing that was missing was the key so you still have to come
0: out to a show. Absolutely, you I definitely like, will. Like I said, <laughs> I'll I'll put all that in the show notes. We have a lot to pack pack in there, but I'll do my best. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming. It so was much an Carrie. honor. Thank you, Akilah, as thank always.
3: You. Well, thank and you, until, Hong.
0: Until next time, this was Weekend Voices. Take care, y'all.
3: Peace, y'all.